Let's, uh, let's again pray before we come to God's Word. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you that you are always faithful. Uh, times might change, but you don't. Uh, opportunities and circumstances might change, but your purposes and promises remain. And so we pray that you would uh, be with us this morning and that as your word today is open to us, uh, that we would be open to it. Uh, for it's in the name of your dear son that we uh, do ask. Amen. Amen. Well, so we've been in a series um, on the fruit of the Spirit. In this series, we're drawing from the book of Galatians and the, the New Testament letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to Christians living in what is now uh, present-day Turkey. And when you hear the fruit of the Spirit, uh, think of the the virtues or the character qualities that are brought about by the indwelling of the Spirit of God as he resides in the people of God. And Paul rattles off nine uh, specific items in Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. This is kind of the, the foundational verse for this whole series. Uh, he lists nine specific things that we would expect to see uh, in a follower of Jesus. Uh, this list is probably not exhaustive, but it's definite. Uh, these are the things that we would hope would mark the life of people following Jesus. The larger context of Galatians 5, though, finds Paul uh, talking about what it means to be sanctified. So a couple of important S words in Christianity, there's salvation, uh, that's uh, the event, it happens one time, once for all, all time, you're saved. And then there's, the, then there's sanctification, the, that's the process, the often messy process that happens after salvation where we become more and more like Jesus, that's sanctification. And we need to walk with the Spirit of God to be more like Jesus, so says Paul. And this is important to understand, especially in the context of, of Galatians 5, because Paul talks about how uh, we have warring desires inside of us, that there's this ever-present dogfight. Uh, in me and in you, we have this old nature, we have the sin nature, that's the flesh, the ways that we're tempted to live for ourselves, for our own glory, for our own needs, and things like that. And we have also the new nature, the, the new man, as he says, the way that God works in us as we believe in Jesus, as we grow in faith. And there's this tug of war going on. And so I have a, a fancy illustration to show you what we're all like, and it's, it's, it's this, it's it's. It's a cup. We are like a, a container. A container is called a container because it contains stuff. Okay, so if I put water in here, I could pour out water. And if I put coffee in here, what would come out? No, yeah, phew. Guys are sharp. Yes, coffee. And so if we think of ourselves as, a, as containers, vessels, in fact, I mean, we already talk like this. You've probably heard someone say, oh, that guy, oh, he's full of it. What, what do they mean? Well, deep down in his heart, there's something. There's a lack of integrity. What you have inside, what you are filled with, that will be spilling over. And so if, if, if we think of ourselves as containers, as vessels, we could expect 
the graces of God to be put in the people of God, right? We're, we're, we're told to be filled with the Spirit, and that should then fill over, spill over in our lives. And that's where we're, we're going today as we, as we look at the uh, one more aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is faithfulness. Galatians says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The people of God are called to be faithful. To be faithful to God, to be faithful to others, to be full of faith. Now, in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, we see the word faithfulness everywhere, and at its root is the word pistis, which, which means belief, devotion, loyalty, conviction. It speaks to this notion of allegiance. When there's faithfulness, someone has a good, strong allegiance. Someone is trustworthy, reliable. And those are all very admirable qualities in a person, right? We all strive to be faithful, to be trustworthy. That's pistis, which is used in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is emunah, which means to securely trust or rely upon. It speaks to staying true. It speaks to integrity. And today, I'm operating from a two-part premise. One's negative and the other one's positive. Negatively, we by default, we human beings, are woefully unfaithful. We're not full of faithfulness. We're empty cups when it comes to faithfulness. And our experience testifies that unfaithfulness is one of the most grievous and destructive things that we face. I mean, think about it. If, if, if a father walks out on his family, those children will walk with a limp for the rest of their lives. When a politician makes promises they don't keep, citizens lose faith in their representative democracy. And, and the issue of faithfulness may may strike a chord with some of us because we've got moments in our lives where we haven't been faithful or where other people haven't been faithful to us. So I know that this topic may be challenging to, for some of us this morning. And even more, while we may experience unfaithfulness from people in our lives, I think we can sometimes believe that, that God is this way towards us as well. I, th I think we can especially be tempted to think this when we're, we're, when we're in really tough seasons, right? When, when, when we're praying for something and God is not answering the prayer that we want him to. Or we're in a season where we're like, why am I, why am I, why am I in such suffering? Why, is this, why isn't this ending? When, when these things happen, we can, we can begin to think that God is just being unfaithful towards us, that he's left that he hasn't kept his promises. So our weariness, the angst that we feel, testifies that unfaithfulness is an enduring human problem. So that's the bad news. But the good news is, despite how we may sometimes feel, God is faithful. He is so, so faithful. And his faithfulness can even come in and displace our unfaithfulness, making us then faithful people that can spill over, in, in, that can spill over into all that we, that we do. And so here's my thesis for today. Uh, since faithfulness is a product of the Spirit of God, 
that the Spirit produces faithfulness, our ability to be faithful ultimately flows out of the character and power of God. That's wordy, but it's precise, and we need to be precise, so I'll say it again. Since faithfulness is a product of the Spirit of God, our ability to be faithful ultimately flows out of the character and the power of God. And if we grasp this, if we can be transformed by this, it will make us full of faith. And we will spill this over. We will pour this over into all that we say and all that we do. But I want to direct this teaching away from what we do. From, from human efforts that will fizzle out. You know, like the kind of little pep talk that you give yourself. And then three days later, you've, you've, you've screwed up again. And you're like, oh, now, now I'm full of it now, right? No, in this equation, we must decrease. God must increase. Because God is faithful. He's faithful in his character. He's faithful in his actions. It has to start with him. His steadfast love, his unchanging character and quality. That has to be the bedrock, the foundation on which we build. Again and again and again, the scriptures declare his faithfulness. Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Deuteronomy 7, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. No one else is God. He alone. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God is faithful in dealing with his people across time. We see this chronicled again and again. He made a promise to Abraham to make him the father of many nations. And God upholds his end of the bargain. He doesn't withdraw that promise regardless of what Abraham does. It doesn't matter what people do. They fail routinely. They're unfaithful routinely. Yet God remains faithful. And the reason he is faithful in his actions is because he is faithful in his character. That's who he is. He is faithful. Listen to Numbers 23. Three, and this is this contrast between God and human beings. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? And what this verse is getting at is this concept of God being immutable. It's not a word that we use uh, that often, but if this was an episode of Sesame Street, I would make that the word of the day. Immutable. The immutability of God. It means that God won't mutate. He, he won't become something else. He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and uh, forever. God always, always perfectly displays all of his attributes at once. You and I, well, we're like dials that go up and down depending on, you know, whatever. I mean, like some days I'm kind. But I'm not kind for long because I'm not patient, right? Or maybe I'm gentle, but, but I withhold the truth. But with God, he is everything all at once. Power, love, justice, mercy. All of it switched on to full, perfectly harmonized always. And it makes God always faithful. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. 
speaking of God, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and immutable, so all his words and acts must be and remain faithful. Men become unfaithful out of desire, fear, weakness, loss of interest, or because of some strong influence from without. Obviously, none of these forces can affect God in any way. He is his own reason for all he is and does. But again, though God is ever faithful, we are not. We are mutable. We mutate. Our behavior, our character, if we're honest, it shifts. It moves like the seasons. As Tozer says, we become unfaithful out of desire, fear, weakness, loss of interest, or because some strong influence pressing in on us. And so because of that, I think it's important that we regularly audit ourselves, that we might watch out for the self-deception that can so easily come. And so I want to ask some diagnostic questions of all of us this morning. I wanted us to put it in park, and I want us to take a moment to think through a slew of different lanes, because faithfulness might map onto your existence differently than mine. But I want you to consider a number of different areas in your life and ask if you are faithful. And I want you to consider at each of these and, 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 and kind of give yourself a, a really quick score. Well, let's frame it this way. We've all been called, to, we've been called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's our number one priority. That's the target. And re- remember, all that we've been given, time, energy, our bodies, our minds, our resources, we are accountable to God for. And it's not just enough that we avoid the bad, but also we're supposed to be pursuing the good. So with that, let's ask this diagnostic. Think about our relationships for a moment. Are, we faithful in, are you faithful in your relationships? Do you prioritize yourself or do you prioritize others? Are you self-serving or do you serve others? Our relationships are so important. What about your sexuality? Maybe there's nothing else that links directly to our hearts like that. Are you pure? Do you have integrity? Do you glorify God with your body? Or are you rationalizing with the Kool-Aid of, well, I'm true to myself? Are you faithful in that domain? What about your goals? Our goals tell us a lot about what we value. Are we making much of ourselves or are we making much of God? Or on the other hand, are we just unambitious? Are we unconcerned with making an impact for God? What about your time? Do you waste your time? Do you invest your time? Do you invest your time in things that have eternal significance? How about the places where you spend most of your time? Uh, what about school or, or work? Places where you establish a reputation and people know you and, and it's not just kind of a, a one-time you know, one kind of passing thing. Are you reliable? Can you be counted on? Or are you flaky? Or are you cutting corners? What, what about what goes into us? What about our, cons- our consumption? Think about your consumption for a moment. Are you faithful there? Food, drink, media, social media. Do you practice discernment and self-control? Or, or are you functionally polluting your soul? What about your thought life? 
Where does your heart go? Think about something like bitterness. If we walk around bitter all the time, that, that bitterness speaks of something deep in our heart, deep in the cup. Or do we have gratitude? Do you, does that mark us? What about our money? Jesus talked a lot about money. Money's a barometer. Is my heart with the kingdom of God, right? Are you generous or are you stingy? Are you chaotic? Are you impulsive? Or are you serving the king with a plan? And finally, what about our beliefs? So much hinges on, on belief. Do you believe historic Christian things? Or are you pulled into one political tribe or one enclave of society that's more convenient? Now, I want to pause here because I think this sermon is for everyone. Because if, if you're giving yourself low marks, this sermon is for you. I want to give you encouragement. And if you're giving yourselves high marks, this sermon is for you. I want to give you a warning. Because if you think you're standing, be careful lest you fall. You see, there's this, con- uh, this confrontational side of the gospel. Yes, the good news is that God loves us. But, but Jesus is a physician, he's a doctor, and sometimes he has to come in and he has to diagnose things inside of us. And what this means is that God examines us not as we compare ourselves to others or some arbitrary standard, but he is the standard, and he looks at our hearts, and therefore we're all found wanting, we're all fickle, we're all empty mugs. And we don't have enough faithfulness, and we have in unfaithfulness inside of us. So the question is then, how can we become filled by God's faithfulness? Because this just doesn't happen automatically, right? Well, I have three considerations for, for you as to how to be filled by the faithfulness of God. Number one, believe that Jesus is faithful for us. In other words, we tap into the source of faithfulness. He was faithful victoriously for us. What we couldn't do, he did. God's own son came to live the perfect life. The only one that that it could ever be said, he was faithful. He was never unfaithful. And he went and he died in our place for our unfaithfulness. So therefore, 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Not us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All, all unrighteousness. If we believe in Jesus, we have full assurance that God is faithful to forgive us all of our sins. That is why the best picture that I can give you of of faithfulness is Jesus on the cross. I can't think of anything better. I can't imagine anything better. I can't construe anything better. I can't use bigger, fluffier language. Jesus on the cross is the clearest portrait of faithfulness that can ever be seen. He prioritized the Father's will. In fact, the most powerful time in Jesus' life where we, we have this is, is the night uh, before he was crucified. This is in Matthew 26, verse 36. It says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. 
And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So Jesus is struggling here. He brings his friends along to pray with him. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Okay, so Jesus is at this point in his life and ministry, and he asks his friends to come with him because he was preparing to go to the cross. And as Jesus was with his friends, he's like, Guys, can you just can you pray with me? Can you just, just stay here with me? And they fall asleep both times. Jesus is experiencing sorrow and anguish. Don't miss what he says. I am deeply grieved to the point of death. But they can't even stay awake. But, but don't miss what Jesus does on the cusp of the most challenging day of his life. He prays. He goes off by himself and he prays to his heavenly father. And in this prayer, you see two things about Jesus. We see, we see his dependence upon the father, but we also see his faithfulness. Look at what he prays. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it. But then two times he says the same thing. Not my will, though, but yours be done. That is a prayer of faithfulness. That is a prayer of, com- of, of commitment to his heavenly father and the work that he's, he'd, he'd set before him to remain steadfast amidst trial. But that prayer, as an aside, it actually also shows us something that faithfulness isn't. Faithfulness is not just some pass, you know, simple passive agreement with everything happening in your life all the time. Don't miss what Jesus prays for us. He says, Father, can this not happen, please? He's asking for his circumstances to change. In Jesus' humanity, he was, he was struggling what was, with what was going to happen, the, the deep sorrow and pain that he would experience. And he says, God, if this could happen some other way, that, that would be great. Could that be so? But we see his faithfulness in how he ends his prayer. He's like, God, not my will, though, but yours be done. Listen, it is God's desire that we would pray, that we would pray big prayers, that we would pray for circumstances to change, that we would pray, we would ask him for things and expect him to hear us. But faithfulness is continuing to trust in the will of God for your life. Especially when it's different than than your desired will for your life. You know, one one of the reasons that the gospel is so riveting is because it speaks to the overwhelming faithfulness of God. When when Paul writes to his protege, uh, Timothy, talking about the grace given to believers to Christians, he says this, if we are faithless... He remains faithful, 
for he cannot deny himself. In other words, God can't stop being God. God is going to be God even when we're faithless. And John gets the vision of heaven in Revelation and, 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 and glimpses Jesus on a, a white horse and he says the name of the rider is faithful and true. He is faithful and he is true. So when we are unfaithful and false, he makes up for what we lack. So we, we need to believe in him, whereby we are linked to him, and that will make up for what we lack. That, that, will, that, will, fill, that will begin to fill the cup. This will, will help us be faithful. And then secondly, we need to be continually filled by faithfulness. To be honest, we get empty, don't we? So when we feel empty, we need to be filled by his presence and his promises. I mentioned earlier uh, Ephesians 5 where it says that we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. The, the grammar, if you look at the grammar there, the verb tense suggests that this is a process that we need to be being filled. It doesn't sound particularly smooth in English. Uh, if we spoke, you know, the Greek, it would be a little bit more intuitive, but, but this is not, not the event. Salvation is the event, but just as you, you know, maybe you need more coffee and then more coffee and then more coffee, you need to be being filled with the Spirit. I mean, being saved is a big deal. But God doesn't just want to just say, hey, I did this one thing in your life this one time. No, he wants to be present in your life all of the time. But this doesn't mean that we're going to feel full of the Spirit all of the time. Honestly, most of the time, we don't. We, we like those mountaintop moments, but they're so rare, especially the further you go in faith. Most often, faithfulness looks like doing it tired. Doing it fighting resentment. Doing the right thing and then realizing, oh man, I just did the right thing for the wrong reasons. You've got to confess that. And for some of us right now, we are struggling. We're experiencing a tough season. It's hard to be faithful. It's hard to be faithful when you don't feel appreciated. When you've been betrayed when you've been burned, when you're feeling tempted, tired, discouraged, out of gas. We need to be filled again and again. We need to be being filled. Tozer again says this, the faithfulness of God is a datum of sound theology. That's just a dork way of saying it's information. Uh, the faithfulness of God is a datum of sound theology. But to the believer, it becomes far more than that. It passes through the processes of understanding and goes on to become nourishing food for the soul. The tempted, the anxious, the fearful, the discouraged. Any of you this morning feel tempted, fearful, anxious, discouraged? Or is it just me? May all find new hope and good cheer in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father is faithful. And time spent in his presence, time spent in his word, and in the promises it contains has a way of recharging us. To be filled by faithfulness, we not only need to believe in Jesus, but when you feel empty, we need to refill with his presence and his promises.
Uh, being called to be faithful, this is a very daunting thing if we're completely honest. When I went through that diagnostic list earlier, uh, if any one of you are remotely like me, I mean, as I'm reading that out, I'm grimacing on the inside. But here's the thing, and this is the third and final thing that we need to consider and keep in mind. Know that we are only called to be faithful. And what this means is we're not responsible for the results. You know, sometimes we're trying to be faithful as we're, you know, raising a child or trying to be faithful in a relationship. We're trying to be faithful in some way. And we take on extra burden because we don't realize that God has to do the heavy lifting. What we are responsible for is faithfulness. Not the results, just the input. We're called to be faithful and loyal to what God has entrusted to us. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the, the parable of the talents. If you've been around church for any length of time, this is the parable that you're, a parable you'll be familiar with. You'll find it in your worship guide. Uh, and this parable is essentially an incentive, a reminder, a warning to be ready, awaiting his, uh, awaiting his return, remaining faithful in the meantime. And so, so what Jesus does is he describes a master, this powerful, affluent man who's going away on a journey. And he entrusts his servants with his property, with, with the you know, things of his wealth. And he says, I'm going to be gone. When I'm gone, you have it. Be faithful with it. And when I get back, I'm going to be checking in. And the master gives one of the servants five talents, another two talents, and the third one talent. Talent is simply an old-timey measurement for gold or silver or some kind of coin. And a talent was a valuable, huge sum. And the master in the parable is, of course, Jesus, and his people are the servants that have been entrusted. And what he's trying to say is that he will return, and that, that he has left us as caretakers of his ministry, ambassadors of his mission, our time, our, our money, our bodies, our intellect, all of this other stuff is given to us by him, and we're going to have to give an account. And great or small, we have to be faithful. And so what's interesting is upon his return, the servant who was given five talents says, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And the master says to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what we want to hear someday, isn't it? And then the servant with the two talents is also approached, and he, he gives the same spiel as the, as the guy with the five talents. He says to him, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master then says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. They are commended for faithfulness. Not the amount of their talents, not necessarily even the outcomes, but that they were faithful. They realized they, they had been given an opportunity and a responsibility that they shouldn't take lightly. And our call is that it is it, simply that we are called to be faithful. It's God who moves the mountains. When the disciples were on the mountainside with Jesus and, and, and there's this huge vast of crowd and they're like, Jesus, they're hungry. And he says, you feed them. And they're like, we've got crumbs. 
All they had to do was be faithful with their crumbs. Jesus does the rest. And so what I want to do as we close is I want to return to the diagnostic questions we considered earlier. And I want to put, I want to put it back in park again. And I want us just to take a moment and begin to imagine what it would look like for you to take a step of faith to be more faithful. Okay, so let's go back through that list. What about your relationships? What would it be, what would it be like to be faithful in your relationships? Perhaps maybe you begin to engage your friends in matters of faith. You pray for them. You encourage them. You are there for them. You put others in front of yourself. What about your sexuality? Well, faithfulness might look like letting God sit on the throne that is rightly His. Stepping back and and resisting whatever might make you stumble, whoever might make you stumble in your life. What about your goals? What what would faithfulness look like uh, in your goals? Some of us, we need to get some godly ambitions, some God-sized ambitions. Some of us, we maybe need to go back to the drawing board and we need to pursue what God wants with all of our might. What about our time? We need to begin to invest our time in things that have eternal consequences. So some of us, this, this could mean that we don't just consume church, that we contribute to church. You know, you, you, you look at the need and, 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 and you say, well, yeah, I could, I'd love to help out with the kids' ministry. Pass the background check and we will get you plugged in. Eternal work, little disciples for eternity being taught about Jesus. What about your consumption? What about your inputs? Are there areas in your life, you know, things like social media, Netflix, that, you're, that if you're totally honest, you're just watching too much time. You're, you're wasting too much time on it. And, and you may need to pump the brakes a little bit so you're not just vegging out and numbing yourself. What about your thought life? We could begin to redirect some of these thoughts that trip us up that don't please God by spending more time meditating on the Scriptures, praying through the Scriptures. Our money. Maybe this is a season where you take a step forward in terms of generosity, where you see that all that you have isn't really yours. It's simply been entrusted to you, and you consider the ways God might be calling you to use it. And finally, what about your beliefs? We're called to be believers. So what we believe matters. What we believe shapes our behavior. That's the watershed for everything else. So perhaps you need to let the Word of God audit what you believe. We, we need to be careful not to believe everything we believe. We need to question who or what is discipling us. Is it the world or is it the Word of God? Who or what is really shaping what we believe? And if one of these things, just one of these things resonate. I just, I just want to encourage you to just pick one and be more faithful. Take one small step of faith in one of these areas that you would acknowledge that your cup is empty. It's not as full as you'd like. But we know the one that fills us back up when we're empty. You see, because our, our only shot at being faithful comes from the character and the power of God. So we let him do what only he can do in faith. And so I'll leave you with Paul's words. He, speaking of God, he will sustain you to the end. Guiltless 
in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray.